You're listening to the Coastal Church Audio Podcast with Pastor Dave Koop. We are in a series of better way to get along with other people. And today's a better way to get along with public relationships, uh, not just private, but public. It could be within the church. It could also be outside the church walls. Mostly this chapter deals with people within our church world, but it applies elsewhere. So if you have your Bibles, find Romans chapter 14. Find your notes. You can also scan the QR code, and that will bring up for you the message notes as well. Romans 14 is about how to get along with people that may not agree exactly with you on the minors. So on the major things, we absolutely need to be in a unity. These are the essentials. But on the certain gray areas, there we need to have liberty. So that's where we're going this morning. How we respond to those things is what we want to talk about today. What would be the essentials? What are things that we should absolutely be in agreement on as Christians? Well, we should be in agreement that, about the virgin birth of our Lord. We should be in agreement regarding the resurrection of our Lord. We're going to celebrate that in a few weeks. We're in agreement that Jesus paid for our sins, the atonement for our sins. We're in agreement on the fact that the Bible is God-inspired word. We're in agreement on the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So these would be an example of some of the essentials that we're absolutely on agreement on. It's very clear. We're also in agreement on certain ways we're to live. We're in agreement on, like Paul said, some of these things should not even be named amongst you. He talked about immorality. He talked about lying and stealing. And so very clear we're in agreement on it. But there's other things that are gray, so to speak. And Paul takes a chapter in Romans 14 and talks about that. In February, we spend a month talking about a better way to think. It was all about renewing our mind, getting rid of toxic thinking. And then in Romans chapter 12, verse 2, he talks about renewing our mind. And from there, he goes into a lot about relationships, personal relationships, relationships within the church and outside the church. But if it's toxic between our ears, it's toxic in our relationships. And so it starts there. We have to make sure that our mind, we clear up that thinking and we're, we live in a world that is toxic. We live in a world that's fallen. And so you have to continually renew our mind, flush out that toxic thinking, and renew our mind. If we don't do that, it really affects our relationships. So now in this chapter, Paul's going to talk about how do we relate to those who maybe have a different set of values. They have different traditions. They have different cultures. They have different tastes. In our church, we come from a lot of different backgrounds. We have a lot of different nationalities. You go to some churches, and you go to their communities, and everybody pretty much looks the same. They come from the same background, maybe in the same age, very, very much the same. But in our church world, we come from a lot of different backgrounds. And I like that. We, we celebrate the diversity, and God is a God of diversity. With that, as there was in the early church, Paul had to talk about, okay, here's how we work with the diversity. A disclaimer before we go further. I don't have anything that uh, has to be worked through as a church. We're, thank God for that. This is not a, an issue message. This is a preventative. This is a proactive message. We're just saying, okay, let's learn what Paul had to say here and be prepared and know how to handle things when uh, something comes up where we have a difference of opinion on traditions, cultures, or tastes. So if you have your Bibles, go to Romans chapter 14. And I'm going to read that chapter for you this morning. Then we'll come back and we'll unpack the verses. So today's more of a teaching morning. Uh, Find your Bible. 
And uh, if you got it on your iPhone or your Blackberry or your Blueberry or your Gooseberry or what, iPad or whatever you got, or if you have a good old-fashioned Bible, you get that out. It all works. Really, today, there's no excuse not to bring your Bible to church. Amen? We, we should be able to bring it with us and read it wherever we go now. It's so convenient, so handy, and lots of different translations, which is great. Uh, Romans 14, and uh, we're going to read this chapter, so let's uh, take time to read God's Word. Faith comes by hearing God's Word, and uh, God loves faith. Our faith is built up. You will not leave the way you came this morning, I promise you, because God's Word is at work. His Holy Spirit's at work. When you go through those exit doors, you'll be different. Faith will be built up. So here we go. Romans 14, verse 1, receive one who is weak in the faith, but not to dispute over doubtful things. Weak in the faith. For one believes he meets all things, but he who is weak eats only vegetables. Now, I have to clarify something here. That does not mean that you're a vegan, you're weak, okay? So, because you could read that and say, oh, man, that person's there. They're a vegan. They're a weak person. No, that's not what he's saying here. This is a ceremonial diet, not a diet based on other things. This is a ceremonial diet where they were choosing not to eat meat because of certain religious ceremonial convictions. So, let's clarify that right away. It's weak in the faith would mean somebody who abstains from something, but then they would start judging other people because they didn't do the same thing they did. Weak in the faith would be somebody who had a limited understanding of grace. That's weak in the faith. So just to clarify that little point before we go on. Verse 3, let not him who eats despise him who does not eat. You didn't eat it, so I'm going to despise you. I'm better than you because I don't eat it and you do. So Paul says, no, 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 don't do that. And let not him who does not eat judge him who eats, for God has received him. For who are you to judge another servant? To his own master he stands or falls. Indeed, he shall be made to stand, for God is able to make him stand. One person esteems one day above another, another seems every day alike. Let each be fully convinced in his own mind. He observes a day, observes it to the Lord, and he does not observe the day to the Lord, he does not observe it. He who eats, eats to the Lord, for he gives God thanks. He does not eat to the Lord, he does not eat, and gives God thanks. What's Paul saying? If you eat certain foods and you say, God, thanks for the food, that's cool. If you don't eat certain foods and you eat other foods and you give God thanks for it, that's cool. It's the motive. What's the motive for what you're doing? Both are good. Verse 7. For none of us live to himself, and no one dies to himself. For if we live, we live to the Lord, and if we die, we die to the Lord. Therefore, whether we live or die, we are the Lord's. For to this end, Christ died and rose, lived again, that he might be Lord of both the dead and the living. Then in verse 10, but why do you judge your brother? Or why do you show contempt for your brother? For we shall all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. For it is written, As I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me, and every tongue shall confess to God. So then, each of us shall give an account of himself to God. Therefore, let us not judge one another any more, but rather resolve this, not to put a stumbling block or a cause to fall in our brother's way. I know and am convinced by the Lord Jesus that there is nothing unclean of itself, but to him who considers anything to be unclean, to him it is unclean. Yet if your brother is grieved because of your food, you are no longer walking in love. Do not destroy your, 
do not destroy with your food the one for whom Christ died. Therefore, do not let your good be spoken of as evil. For the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking, but righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. For he who serves Christ in these things is acceptable to God and approved by men. Therefore, let us pursue the things which make for peace and the things by which one may edify another. Do not destroy the works of God for the sake of food. All things indeed are pure, but it is evil for the man who eats with offense. It is good neither to eat meat nor drink wine nor do anything by which your brother stumbles or is offended or is made weak. Do you have faith? Have it to yourself before God. Happy is he who does not condemn himself in what he approves. But he who does is condemned if he eats, because he does not eat from faith, for whatever is not from faith is sin. This is a loaded chapter, all right? So we are going to unpack some of it here this morning together. And uh, how do we respond when people have different values than ours? And again, we're going to talk about the non-essentials. On the essentials, absolute unity. On the non-essentials, liberty. Paul's talking about diet. The diet in the church back then was a bigger deal than it is today. Today we have different issues that we deal with, but the principle is the same. Paul's talking about this diet issue, and he says on these non-essentials, there's liberty for us with our own personal expression of our faith to God. Different cultures, different backgrounds, different traditions. He says this should not be divisive within the church. So how do we respond to this? People have different values. Number one, here we go, be accepting, not condescending. Not having this superior attitude, I'm better than you because you did that or you didn't do that. I do this, you don't do that, so I'm better than you are. In your notes, I put it out of the Living Translation, verse 1, accept Christians who are weak in faith. Don't argue with them about what they think is right or wrong. So, uh, probably a bigger issue today might be in the churches is the way we dress. It's not an, it's not an essential but, you know, if you would go to certain churches, especially in the south, southern parts of the United States, I mean, they, they, they take it up to a whole nother level when they dress. I mean, you come to church. We're West Coast. We're relaxed. You know, we have different style of dress. We have jeans. We have suits. we got all kinds of dress here this morning. But in some churches, if you would go there, ladies, you'd have to have a hat on. You'd come to church with your hat. You wore your Sunday best. Guys had a tie on. And, and uh, you know, you had... Uh, you had people that were just dressed for the occasion. And, and if you came in, if you weren't dressed for the occasion, it would be like, huh, you could be condescending. Oh, man, if you were spiritual, you would have wore a tie today. And Brother Dan could be doing that to me this morning. He say, Dave, you know, if you were spiritual, you would have had a tie on today. And, and if you were really spiritual, you would have had a green tie on because it's St. Patrick's. And so, <laughs> go ahead, see <laughs> But wouldn't it be silly if Dan and I argued about that? And he said, Dave, you know what? You're not very spiritual because you don't have a tie on. And I could say, well, you're not very spiritual because you should be relaxed. You know, you don't have to. You're trying to be religious by wearing that. Wouldn't that be a silly argument to have? It's a non-essential. So to wear the suit and tie is okay and to not wear the suit and tie is okay. God's more concerned what your heart is at. For some people... They wear a suit and tie every day to work because they work downtown. And Sunday, I really don't feel like wearing the monkey suit again. So I'm just going to put it in the closet and I'm going to come to church in my jeans. God's cool with that. But if we come along and say, well, I think if you're a spiritual because we're in the house of God, you have to wear your Sunday best, we become condescending. It's just one example. We could use other examples, but that would be one example. So, number two, 
Remember, God has accepted them. They answer to God, not you. Not you. Verse 3. For those who think it's right to eat anything must not look down on those who won't. And those who won't eat certain foods must not condemn those who do. God, underline this in your notes, God has accepted them. Folks, if God's accepted them, who am I not to accept them? Now, again, I'm, I'm speaking here proactive. We're just speaking preventive. I, we don't have an issue that I'm thinking about as I'm giving this message. But I think it's good for us to study this chapter and to be aware of it within our church. God has accepted them. When it comes to the way we dress, I was thinking about a great statesman within the uh, city of Vancouver, we, even within our country, a pastor by the name of Bob Birch. In 2007, he went home to be with the Lord. But in the 60s, Bob had, he pastored at St. Margaret's, close to the, the Peony there, and now called West Coast Community Church. But Bob had these hippies show up. 1968, 1969, these hippies from the Jesus Revolution showed up. And they came into church, and his church like, oh, man, they got long hair. They're not wearing shoes, tie-dye shirt, wide-leg jeans, or, you know, bell-bottom jeans. They haven't bathed for a while. Hippies showed up. And some of the churches, oh, no, can't have them in. Look at the dress. It was a condescending, unaccepting of these people. But Bob said, I think it's okay. I think they can come. And it revolutionized his church. And uh, out of his diary one Sunday, he wrote, It has been the most unusual blessing for me to recognize the work of the Good Shepherd by the Holy Spirit amongst the hippies and to receive them into fellowship here, a number of them. And as I have observed them from day to day and met with them each morning for the study of the Word of God, I've been humbled and overjoyed to see the Holy Spirit at work in this new way. I have been learning to look past the outward appearance to appreciate how God looks on the heart and to thank Him for the heart love of these new lambs of the flock. And long before we were at English Bay baptizing hundreds of people, Bob Birch was there baptizing hundreds of people. And a matter of fact, they made the newspaper back then. And the Vancouver Sun wrote in 1972, much of the flock is blue jean, long-haired and bearded, and because it's January, they're wearing shoes. Otherwise, <laughs> hippies didn't wear shoes. <laughs> they were in January doing water baptism out there. So, well, we're going to go in, in uh, April. Yeah. I did a water baptism once in February. It was cold. This guy phoned me and said, hey, I'm going back to Montreal. Can I be water baptized? And I said... Yeah, I can find a pool somewhere. Like the, I think some of these, we'll, we'll, we'll get one at one of these, you know, high rises here downtown. They've got pools, and we'll just use one of those pools, or we can go to a hotel. He goes, no, no, I want to go to English Bay. He says, you sure about that? I, I, I can get a hot tub. He says, no, no, no I want to go to English Bay. So we went to English Bay. The tide was all the way out. It was cold, you know, raining just above zero on the verge of snowing around the English Bay. I've never had so much fun. It really was fun. But Bob Burge went on to write about him, how he loved these people. It went on to say, Bob, Barrow, uh, Bob Birch, he's a sparrow of a man. He was a small man who wears color brown by instinct. Uh, talked about the people. Their eyes were closed, arms outstretched, young people, hundreds of them, the entire congregation, by some unspoken message, joined hands, raised arms as they sing of the loving one, of loving one another. 
The church is filled with a loud and almost indescribable sound led by Bob Birch. 500 souls sing each their own private song. It sounds like the entire Peruvian army, he said, this guy writes in the paper. What happened? Bob just said, yes, you're accepted. And he started a revolution. You know, what would happen if we just did the same thing today? I think we are doing it. But we need to consciously remind ourselves not to be condescending, to follow our own conscience, which is point number three. Follow the conviction of your own conscience. In verse 5 of the Message Bible, it says, Or say one person thinks some days should be set aside as holy. Another thinks each day is pretty much alike any other. There are good reasons either way. So each person is free to follow the conviction of his conscience. See, back then, some of the Jews who had become Christians, they came along and they said to people that didn't have a Jewish background, they said, okay, now if you're really a good Christian, you're going to follow all these Jewish festivals, all the rituals, you have to follow them. And they go, I don't think you have to do that. I think because my heart's there, I'm following God, I don't think I have to do that. And so there was this dispute over that. And Paul was saying, you know what? Again, it's in your heart. It's good either way. It's a non-essential. Do we have that today? Yeah, it comes up today. For example, this past Christmas, we had a service on Christmas Day because Christmas Day happened to fall on Sunday. But I've had people say to me, Pastor, do you have a service on Christmas Day? I said, no, we don't have a service on Christmas Day. Oh, you don't have a service on Christmas Day and you're a Christian church? You must have a service on Christmas Day. But it's good to have a service on Christmas Day. It's also, you can not have a service on Christmas Day. Again, it's the heart. We have lots of services around Christmas, but we've chosen not to have a service every Christmas Day. Maybe going forward, we will have a service on Christmas Day, but we have a service on Christmas Day where we don't have a service on Christmas Day. God is interested in what's going on in the heart. But today, there are people that will split a theological hair over that, and it ends up dividing people instead of people coming together. It's not about that. It's about the fact that Jesus came to this earth. It's about the fact that he rose again. It's about keeping the main thing the main thing and not letting little things pull us apart. Our God is a God of diversity. Just take a look at the fish. Take a look at the birds. Take a look at the trees. There's a lot of variety. I've had people use it as a negative. They say, oh, you know, one church has this and one church has that. Why don't you guys just get on the same page? I like to say, well, on the majors, we are on the same page. But on these non-essentials, there's a lot of variety. That's not a negative. It's actually a strength. It's a sign that our God is a God of variety. On Good Friday, we'll celebrate with our friends at First Baptist. And we'll have an amazing service together. Their style of music may be a little bit different. We'll work together. But basically, what we believe is identical. My friend down the street at the Anglican church, he says, Dave, I know what kind of church Coastal is. Oh, that's good. Tell us, what kind of church are we? He says, Dave, you're Baptist with Tabasco sauce. That's who you are. <laughs> and so I said, well, that's cool. Yeah, we like it a little hotter, but guess what? It's the same. Diverse, but the same. So we, we celebrate that, and we don't shrink back from it. Number four, got to move along here. We have to pursue unity. Unlike uniformity, by living to please God. Uniformity means that we'd be all exactly the same. Little Christians in our little uniforms, little Billy Grahams, you know, all exactly the same. Little robots that come in and out of church. Wouldn't that be boring? That would be like, oh, so dull. This church is not boring. You look around, there's so much diversity. We love it. I love the diversity of age, diversity of culture, diversity of backgrounds. Heaven's going to be like that. Lots of diversity. 
It's not uniformity, it's unity. And it's unity of the Spirit. And Paul says in Ephesians chapter 4 that we are to be preserve. We have to work at it. You've got to work at it. Preserve the unity of the Spirit. It didn't say unity of the law. You can't legalize this stuff. Thou shalt wear this. Thou shalt have thy skirt that long. Thou shalt have this. Thou shalt grow a beard. Thou shalt do this. And I had neighbors who grew up with that. Had to have a beard. Had to have this and had to have that. And, you know, you couldn't have a chrome bumper. You had to spray paint it black lest you look worldly. Seriously. That's, I mean, it was like, and we're the only ones. We're the only ones that are going to go to heaven because we do this, this, and this. That's the unity of the law. This is the unity of the Spirit. We're unified by the Spirit, not by the law. We're under age of grace, not under age of law. The unity of the Spirit that holds us, that's what binds us together. The law doesn't bind us together. This may shock you. The Ten Commandments does not bind us together. It's the love and the grace of God that binds us together. That doesn't mean we don't want to obey the Ten Commandments. We want to love our neighbor, but what binds us together is the love of God. Yeah, preserve the unity of the Spirit. Where Paul's going here is be careful on these traditions, these cultures, because you come from different backgrounds. It's international. Don't judge people from the outside. Look what's going on inside their heart. One area that often comes up is music. Music has divided churches. Well, we have got a pipe organ, and we've had a pipe organ since 1918. And we're going to have a pipe organ, and we're going to have pipe organ music. And you're going to learn to like it, and you're going to learn to sing with pipe organ music. We have a pipe organ. Underneath the council, there's a pipe organ. But the reality is nobody's listening to pipe organ music on the radio. Or not listening. You can't find it on MTV. You can't find it in our world today. It's just, it's just very rare. And so years ago, I'm glad we didn't have to transition this, but years ago, talking a, a generation ago, guess what showed up in churches? A drum set. <laughs> Electric guitar. And a generation ago, there was this dispute. Oh, you have brought rock and roll into the church. I remember Phil Driscoll did a teaching on it. He got up and he was doing, this is a number of years ago, but he said, okay, I'll get on the piano. And he was playing, and he played this nice little song, very, very traditional. And then he began to jazz it up, put a beat to it, and it got faster, and it got funky, you know. <laughs> and he said, okay, now, you tell me when this crossed the line and became wrong. Well, you couldn't. Why? Because it's the spirit behind the music. It's the spirit behind the dress. It's the spirit behind it. The music isn't wrong. I think it was Luther who said years ago, why should the devil have all the good music? It's the spirit behind the music. In some cultures, long before they came into a North American church, that's all they used was drums. In other cultures, they had dance. In other cultures, and so it was... We just sanctify it. We don't have to change it. We just sanctify it. And so Paul is addressing these non-essentials so that we can love one another. Again, liberty in the non-essentials. In the essentials, absolute unity. And in everything, there has to be love. You can come to church and you say, oh, man, this is it. This is a, this is a vibrant church because they're, they're dancing in worship. 
and you, and you like to dance, and you look over and you see somebody who isn't dancing, oh, you know, not very spiritual. If they, if, I mean, if they were really spiritual, if they had done the Alpha Course, if they did this, if they had memories, if they knew, if they studied the life of David, they would have their hands in there and they would be a worshiper. But you don't know what, how their week went. You, maybe that mom was up four times in the night with a crying baby and maybe she had a terrible week and maybe it was everything she could do just to get to church. But inside her heart of hearts, she is absolutely dancing and worshiping God. So Paul says, who are you to pass judgment on somebody because you are not their judge? You don't know what's going on inside their heart. The next person might be have their arms in the air and worshiping, but their heart's far from God. We, we just let God decide that. This is important stuff for building, foundational stuff for building healthy churches. I think Matt has a clip for me on the different types of worship. I haven't seen this before, but they said it would be a good way to describe it. So let's, yeah, there we go. This is your official worship signals, I guess. The rookie does the elbow flap. We have carry the TV worship, big screen. Intermediate worship is my fish was this big, <laughs> hold my baby. Uh, the pro has dueling light bulbs, the pointer, the hatchet, the school arm, the expert village people. The Rocky worship and the touchdown worship. So you have all the different styles of worship. And just because somebody isn't doing village people, they're doing my fish was this big, it's cool. Their heart's there, all right? So <laughs> we're not going to uh, pursue unity, right? Not uniformity. You may see all those various styles in Coastal on any given Sunday. It's the unity of it. Number five, avoid being critical. Leave the judging up to the Lord. Avoid being critical. Don't criticize your brother. Don't gossip about them. Don't condescend to your sister. Don't look down. Think you're superior. If you do this, you'll look silly. Uh, you know, basically, you've heard the phrase, birds of the feather flock together, Right? The weird thing about the church is we're all kinds of different feathers, all kinds of different birds, sizes and shapes and so forth. And all of a sudden, another bird shows up and it's like very different. And you go, oh, my goodness. Look at that guy. He's kind of funny. He's kind of goofy. If we're not careful, we slip into that. And pretty soon we, oh, I don't know, he can be one of us. But if we have that attitude, it hurts us. We look silly. So... I'm going to take a commercial break, and we're going to show you a little clip from Pixar that helps explain the point. So think about that as you watch this little video clip called For the Birds.
a moral to that story and the moral of that story is if you gossip and become critical of somebody who doesn't have your values your culture your tradition looks a little bit different worship a little bit different eats a little bit different you're the one who ends up looking pretty silly and you end up hurting that person go back to Romans 14:10 again so where does that leave you when you criticize a brother where does that leave you when you condescend to a sister I say it leaves you looking pretty silly or worse Eventually, we're all going to end up kneeling side by side in the place of judgment, facing God. Your critical, condescending ways aren't going to improve your position there one bit. Gossip and criticism violate the law of love. Paul said in Galatians, he said, If you bite and ravage each other, watch out. In no time at all, you will be annihilating each other. And where will your precious freedom be then? Folks, if there's one thing we need to protect and watch over at our church is protect the freedom that we have. Protect the unity. Preserve. Be diligent to preserve the unity of the spirit. Criticism, gossip, always lowers the person you talk about. It tempts that other person you're talking to to lower themselves, and it also lowers yourself. We're to edify somebody. We're to build each other up, not lower one another. Gossip grieves. It grieves your friends. In Proverbs, it says that gossip will separate the best of friends. It also grieves yourself because it says in Proverbs 26, 22, that it will get inside your heart. It's a toxicity. It's juicy to talk about. Fun to Facebook it. Fun to Twitter it. Fun to to get it out there, but it ends up destroying your own heart. And then thirdly, most importantly, in Ephesians chapter 4, Paul says, don't be critical of one another. Don't speak badly of one another. Build each other up. Because if you don't, in Ephesians 4.30, he says, you grieve the Holy Spirit. 
And one thing we must protect in our church, and I say it emphatically this morning, is preserve the unity of the Spirit. If we get into this, we're not, don't want to go there, want to be preventative. Again, it's just being proactive. We must guard. One of the most precious things we have in our church, it's not the building. It's not our life groups. It's not Alpha. One of the most precious things we have is the presence of God. It's the presence of His Spirit. When people come that are not even church, they come and say, what is it? There's something different here. What is this? We're in a building. We've got people together, but there's something different. I can't put my finger. Why are people crying out of the blue? Why are people laughing out of the blue? Why is there just something? There's something. There's an energy here. There's something that's here. What is that? That is the presence of the Holy Spirit. And we do not want to grieve the Holy Spirit. And if we do what we saw in that little video, you grieve the Holy Spirit, then God can't move amongst us. We say, oh, God, we never want to grieve you. And what grieves them is when we're critical, 